Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Roisin. And welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. This podcast is all about how improving your physical fitness can help support you on your very own fertility journey. I'm a personal trainer who specialises in training women with fertility problems. I myself have PCOS and have had two beautiful boys, and I'm on a mission to help you do the same. Before we get into it, we will be discussing adult themes such as where do babies come from, pregnancy loss and bereavement. We may also be sweary from time to time. We are optimistic, lighthearted girls, but we know this is a really stressful time for some of our listeners. We respect that. In this week's show, we are joined by the fabulous Jessica Hepburn. Jessica Hepburn is an award-winning author, arts producer and adventure activist who has become one of the UK's leading voices on fertility and family, as well as endurance sport. In 2022, Jessica became the first woman in the world to achieve the Sea Street Summit Challenge, swim the English Channel, run a road marathon and summit Mount Everest. She has been nominated as one of Amnesty International's Women of Suffragette Spirit, Women of the Week in Stylist Magazine and won the Fertility Foundation's inaugural Fertility Hero Award. Jessica also went through 11 rounds of IVF whilst being executive director of the Lyric Hammersmith, which resulted in multiple miscarriages and an ectopic pregnancy that almost took her life. It was during this time she first started writing. She is now the author of three acclaimed books, including her third book, A Mountainous Musical Adventure, which is coming out in spring 2024. We are delighted to have you on the show, so welcome. Jessica, would it be okay to start with an introduction to yourself in your own words? Wow, well, you've kind of said it all then. I'm just like me, making it up as I go along, trying to live my best life. You mentioned going through 11 rounds of IVF. What you kindly didn't mention is that it was 11 rounds of unsuccessful IVF. So I didn't achieve my dream of having a family, which is what led to well my books but also all these other crazy things that I've done yeah I'm just trying to live the biggest bravest life I can one of the first questions that I have to ask you is how how did you manage to get through 11 rounds of IVF I suppose the short answer to that is I don't know I just did I wanted a baby so much I did do everything when you have a dream and you feel like your happiness your whole life depends on that dream coming true you will go to the ends of the earth and I I did Mm. 11 rounds of IVF is the extreme end of the spectrum but I Mm. always also said that if money was no object biology was no object I, I would have done it over and over and over and over again to try and achieve that thing that I really really wanted sure a lot of us can relate to that exact thing. Do you mind just if you would explain for our listeners, what were the, the issues you had around fertility and were there any warning signs or was it like, boom, here's a surprise for you? No warning signs. I've become a real campaigner for better fertility education. I mean, I hope things are improving and I've played a small part in that, but that all we got taught in school was how not to get pregnant. And also scaremongered into thinking the moment you didn't use contraception or there was a a mistake or whatever, that you were going to immediately get pregnant. And I suppose I never, ever had a pregnancy. But I mean, obviously, I was also using contraception. I always say I did everything that women of my generation were 
told to do, went to university, climbed the career ladder, was picky about finding the right partner. And then I was in my early 30s and I'd met the man that I wanted to have a family with. I always say that I thought the hard thing was making the decision to throw away the contraception. And I thought that once we made that decision, like it would happen immediately. Mm. Many people, it's then a surprise when it doesn't happen immediately. And obviously, for the majority of people, will get pregnant maybe within the first few months or maybe the first year. You know, you are counselled to feel like can take a little bit of time. I mean, I didn't know that when we started. I literally thought we were going to get pregnant straight away. After a year, it still hadn't happened. We went to our first clinic. We were diagnosed with unexplained infertility which I always say is like the worst diagnosis because it isn't a diagnosis. It's just basically, well, everything looks like it's working. And then that was the start of what became a struggle to conceive that involved 11 rounds of IVF. And again, as you said, like multiple miscarriages, ectopic pregnancy, perfect baby, but in the wrong place, not not in my fallopian tubes, in my abdomen, um, in my stomach. I think that was one of the reasons why we went through so many rounds of IVF, because all the doctors we saw said, well, you've got unexplained infertility, everything looks like it's working, you are getting pregnant, just keep trying and it will eventually happen. And it didn't. Both Roche and I, we are so sorry for your losses. That is just absolutely horrendous. And the frustration of an ectopic as well, that is really, really, really tough. When you were going through all of this, was there any mental health support? Did you have any relationship support? I was very, very private. I would even use the word secretive for many, many years about my struggle with infertility, about my IVF treatment. I mean, I don't think I'm alone in that. I think many people are for many different reasons. I think there's a lot of shame around infertility and there's also like hope that next month this nightmare is going to be over. And then obviously there's all the complications about work, what you say in or don't say in the whole 12-week rule when you do get pregnant. There's a culture of silence around that. There's lots of reasons for being secretive about it. And I didn't tell anyone for years and years and years, not even my closest family and friends. One of the things that I really wanted to do when I did eventually come out about my fertility in a, a massive way, I wrote a book about it, One of the things that I really wanted to do was highlight the mental health impact. I mean, one of the things I always say is that infertility is not just a disease of the body. It is also a disease of the mind. And actually, in many ways, mental health aspects of it are, for me, the worst part of it. And I really wanted to campaign that people needed more emotional and mental health support going through treatment. It was like a vague thing that you were supposed to be offered one counselling session, but like clinics never did offer it to you. And what's one counselling session? Yeah, nothing. I've always been a big advocate of therapy. And so we did have some support at various points during the process, but I think it wasn't great. So you were running this incredibly important, massive theatre while you were going through IVF. How did you cope with even just the practical side of it, let alone the mental health side of it? You know, were you injecting? Did you have things in the fridge? Were you trying to hide things from people? It's such a physical process. How did you manage that? Like so many 
people who are going through IVF treatment. I was shooting up in the public toilets. I wrote about this in my book and it's often quoted, you know, that I would have my eggs collected in the morning under general anaesthetic and be back at my desk before 11 o'clock in the morning answering emails. I just hid it. But then after a while, you started to leak out. And there was a very specific moment with my ectopic pregnancy when I was like being rushed to hospital. And that was the sort of first moment where I actually disclosed to colleagues. I mean, well, I had to say something. I mean, I like I was always in the office, like I never took any time off. I fit all my appointments around my professional responsibilities. When I was being rushed to hospital with my ectopic pregnancy, I couldn't keep it quiet anymore. It started to come out. And then obviously, eventually, it came out in a massive way because I wrote a book about it. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, I did an article in Grazia before my book came out. And it was this massive article. And I remember I sent a sort of all-staff email. By the way, everyone, I've written a book. I didn't tell them what it was about. I've written a book. And you might be starting to see some publicity about it. Shortly after the book came out, I did uh, This Morning with Holly and Phil. And I, I came into the, the office after I'd done it and everyone was looking at me and there was silence in this open plan office. And I went, you all saw that, didn't you? Ah. Do you know, it was brilliant that that happened in a way. It changed everything for me coming out. It changed absolutely everything. And also not only for me, but for other people too. It's a bit like you kind of just rip the band-aid off. I have to say, whenever I receive an all-staff email, it's not normally that interesting. I had loads of young women who worked with me. I was very young when I took on the lyric and I was in my 30s going through this. And I had a lot of young women in their 20s working for me at the time. I know that it was also really important for them that I did what I did. So many of them have said that to me. You've basically gone from being completely silent, which by the way, I totally understand because it's such a massive private thing, to a, a huge campaigner for fertility rights and fertility support. How did you then get to this point where you actually decided to stop? Which I think is a really important and perhaps difficult question, but when did you know it was time? I always find this quite a challenging question because I don't think that I've ever found a really good and succinct answer to it. One of my answers to it which is a bit of a cheeky answer, but it is also a, a true answer, is that I'm still living the question, right? Yes, I'm, mm. I'm not doing IVF anymore. There came a point where I realized 11 rounds of unsuccessful IVF, that's not working anymore. And then actually what happened is that my relationship broke down at that point. We weren't really in a position or I wasn't in a position to consider alternative routes to parenthood. But I am a, like a massive advocate that there are many ways to be a parent in the world. And even though biologically, I'm like literally this month coming out of perimenopause and in menopause, I know that I'm not going to be a biological mother, but I still live the question about motherhood. That is really important to me to say. There was a point, yes, when the route that me and my partner are on did come to a stop. and. If I'm giving people advice about knowing when that is for them, I say this, which is it's different for everybody. For some people, one round of IVS enough. And for some people, 11 is enough. And for some people, 111 will be enough. And you can only answer that for yourself. But what I would say is you've got to listen to your instinct. And 
I've got better and better at doing that as I've got older. I have a writing practice that really helps with that. If I've got a question that I need an answer to, I write it out and my instinct knows. And I think like the truth is my instinct knew that was enough of that. Time for a new chapter. It's interesting because there is a lot of clinical research now on instinct and gut feeling and there is a huge amount of work actually being done now about this. We're also interested in journaling. I know Roshan in particular is a, a good fan of, of journaling. Did you just decide to start writing one day? I have a sort of journaling practice which I call my blessings book, which is very different from my creative writing practice. But in terms of writing books, when I first started writing, I thought my story would have a like conventional happy ending, a miracle baby ending. That's what I was writing towards. But I sort of felt there's this thing that I'm going through and it's a really important story and it's full of like narrative highs and lows. And I'm not seeing stuff written about, it, especially not through unsuccessful IVF. What was amazing is that I discovered, now, although I've always worked with artists, all my life, I never considered myself an artist. You know, I was a manager of artists. And then I discovered that I loved writing creatively. And and so that became like a vocation, a passion. There was a sort of therapeutic part of it, definitely, which was helping me make sense of what I was going through. But then there was also another part of me that was going, I want to write a story here that other people might connect to. I love how organically it all happened. It was a very natural thing for you that's resulted in this beautiful writing, which also helps so many other people. Hopefully. And actually, my first book, The Pursuit of Motherhood, is written a bit like it is a diary. And it's got these sections which are called the infertility diaries. But actually, it isn't actually a diary. It is a piece of creative writing. I did have a journaling practice, but my journaling practice was more my blessings book, which was really more like a gratitude diary. And I started that directly after my ectopic pregnancy, because that was the darkest time. And I just needed to find something good in every day. And it's been transformational. I still do it. I find a blessing in every single day. Again, there is just a lot of research and there's a lot of anecdotes around this idea of gratitude and the link with mental health. And it's so important for people. Having gone through everything and then having gone through the ectopic pregnancy, I, I can't imagine. The unfairness of it all must have just been horrific. I think the fact that you ended up doing that is quite amazing. Oh, thank you. I'd like to move on to the fitness side of things. In 2015, you swam the channel. In 2017, you know, you ran a marathon. You also climbed Everest. You now call yourself an adventure activist, which I absolutely love. How on earth did you start to get into fitness? Where did this all come from? Well, that is a massive question. <laughs> and the first thing to say is I describe myself as an unlikely athlete. I was not the sporty one in school. I was the arty one. Mm. I always say like there's this schizophrenic thing when you're being a woman trying to be pregnant because I was always living in this this parallel universe where on the one hand, I always wanted to lose some weight like most women do. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, all I wanted to do was get fat and be pregnant. 
I came out of my 11th round of IVF and I just thought I need to do something different with my life. I've lost the last decade to like what I describe as project baby. It's been about trying to get pregnant and running a big Mm. theatre and I just need to do something different. And I Mm. set out on this path to do what I describe as part childhood dream, part midlife crisis, which was to swim the English Channel. People ask me, were you a swimmer? And I was like, well, I could swim. I've never done more than a few (laughs) laps in the pool in my adult life, maybe swam in the sea on holiday. I just landed on this idea about swimming the channel, which I think was something that I remembered as a child as being a thing. And then I went on this journey Mm. to find out what it involved. And it was totally terrifying. But as I said, once I thought it, I couldn't unthink it. And it was the most incredible life-changing journey and it's led to running the marathon climbing Everest and those things would have never happened without my infertility without my unsuccessful IVF probably would never have happened if I'd become a mother and they have totally enhanced my life in a positive way and also in a very profound way helped me reach a, a place of acceptance with everything that's gone on it's been such an important journey for me in so many ways. I think a massive barrier for people is this self-image. You don't consider yourself to be an athlete. And for me, this is massive because I've spoken to so many people because they don't see themselves as being an athlete. They don't do athletic things. How you managed to get over the hurdle of I'm not an athlete to swimming the channel, doing a marathon, climbing Everest. How did you bridge that gap? You've got to find the thing that drives you. I've always been driven by wanting to experience the world to the full. I'm definitely a woman of extremes. I definitely can do endurance. 11 rounds of IVF is the toughest physical and mental endurance test that you can ever take. In a way, there were real parallels. Once I'd done the channel, that just was such a positive experience for me that I then wanted to have that experience again. But what I also knew was that I wanted to try something different. I didn't want to swim another sea. I wanted to go and do something new. I've got lots of reasons why I use the word adventurer activist. I love going on adventures. It's a passion. Even though the, the physical side of these challenges, I find it really tough. Weirdly, the mental side, I don't find so tough. That is my superpower, my mental strength. It's the physical that I find really hard. I think your mental strength is obviously absolutely incredible. If there was an Olympics for fertility treatment, you would be up there for gold. Oh, yeah. What's next? What's next for you? What challenges have you got lined up? When you take on these big challenges and you complete one, that's the thing that everyone wants to go, oh, so what are you doing next? Are you going to the South Pole? (laughs) And I get to the top of Everest was a six-year journey. I was go originally in 2020 because of COVID and then I did go in 2021, but I didn't summit. And then I finally summited last year in 22. I really needed to not take on another big challenge. I'm a big resolutions person. I'm not ashamed to admit it. And we're in February now. So I can still just about talk about New Year's resolutions. I'm trying to move every day doing 10,000 steps a day or doing a class at the gym, um, doing a yoga session, 
But really, for me, this year, I'm like in my happy place because I've written, came down from my Mm. mountain, finished my third book. It's coming out next year. I'm in the cave of editing it at the moment and we'll start marketing it. That's my challenge to birth my third book in the best way possible. I can't wait. And Roshan and I are very strong supporters of the moving every day. doesn't have to be massive. Love yoga, love walking. The day-to-day exercise, it makes a massive, massive difference. I have to say, I was doing a deep dive. And one of the pieces of advice that you would have given younger self was this idea of being braver sooner. Now, I have this catchphrase, which is live big and brave. I don't even know when I came up with it, but it has really stuck. And it's sort of my philosophy, which is got to turn the sad stuff in your life. And we all have it. It looks different for everyone. And my particular sad thing was that like, I couldn't have a baby with a man that I loved. But you've got to live the biggest, bravest life you can in the face of whatever your sad thing is. And I didn't do that for a long time. A lot of times in my 20s, I didn't always take the brave choice. I can feel now looking back that I took the safe choice or I didn't do something because I was afraid of failure. Whereas now I absolutely always take the brave choice. And obviously my life Mm. demonstrates that in a big way. (laughs) I am also happier for having done that now more than I've ever been in my life, despite the fact that I didn't get my dream. And I'm never getting over the fact that I haven't been able to become the mother that I wanted to be. I definitely feel more myself, my true, authentic, contented, happy self for writing a book, for swimming a channel, running a marathon, climbing a mountain. There's this beautiful quote, that I heard years and years and years ago and I wrote it down and I don't know where I heard it. And it's like, be brave and mighty forces will come to your aid. That's given me goosebumps a little bit, to be honest with you. Absolutely love that. And I think that will genuinely bring comfort to a lot of our listeners. Where can we find you and where can we keep an eye out for your new book, which is coming out next year? got a website. It's uh, www.jessicahepburn.com. And you can sign up to my mailing list. I don't mail too often, so don't worry about that. I've had a love-hate, well, mainly a hate relationship with social media for many years, but I'm actually trying to love it these days. So I am also on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. I have to say, I do follow you on Instagram. You just have some incredible photos on there. It's a a lovely page and it just shows all the amazing things you do. We will put links to all of these things in our show notes so that people can find you very easily indeed. Oh, thank you. What an amazing woman. I am in awe of everything she's achieved. I'm in awe of her physical feats, of her endurance. And I love the live big and brave motto that she goes by. I think she's incredible. What an amazing sentiment. What a comeback story. You know, that idea of she had to call it. It was 11 rounds. It was what it was. And this is not over. I Mm. still have a life, dreams to fulfill. I Mm. got things that I can practically do to improve other people's experience, to improve other people's fertility experience through writing a book. You know, it really is a story of survival, isn't it? She's not just surviving. You know, she's thriving. 
and she is living in the absolute best way she can live. And part of that is through her books, which are amazing. The Pursuit of Motherhood is beautiful, very honest, definitely, definitely worth reading for anybody going through the fertility journey. And then her other book, 21 Miles, is her book focusing more on swimming, as she says, swimming in the search of the meaning of motherhood, both, you know, absolutely superb. And her third book, A Mountainous Musical Adventure, coming out spring 2024. So I will be there first to get my hands on a copy. And if you're interested in following Jessica Hepburn, all of her links will be in our show notes. Well, what's going to top that? What will we be speaking about next week? On next week's shows, we will be talking about sex and supplements. So on Tuesday's Focus, we will be talking about sex when trying to conceive. And in Friday's show, the Fitness Fertility Podcast, we will be talking about supplements to support your trying to conceive journey. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. Remember to subscribe to get a shiny new episode each week and please rate, comment and really importantly share with your friends, especially our trying to conceive sisters. You never know who's struggling and they may need that little bit of extra help. This may come as a surprise, but we are not doctors. We strongly recommend that you consult your doctor before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. Get everything checked out first. Your safety is our priority. This has been a Worth a Listen production.